Welcome to the Hidden Orchard Podcast. On this podcast, we will explore the deeper concepts and the intersection of Jewish wisdom, the New Testament, and science. We will bring you fascinating insights from the ancient and modern sources, all with the goal of improving and getting the most out of life. Visit our website at thehiddenorchard.com to subscribe to our newsletter and get more information like this. Now, today's episode. Though it can lead to flawed conclusions, reading the Gospels and the Epistles without understanding the complicated and technical discussions of Jewish law behind them is quite simple. Though we should know that these knowledge gaps are not inconsequential, they can result in oversimplified and often wrong interpretations. A common outcome of this is the view that Jesus' interlocutors were heartless and uncaring, when in reality, we might realize they shared a lot more common ground than's apparent. In the example we're focusing on, you'll see there's a lot more going on here in a simple discussion between Jesus and certain Pharisees. If you are new to this podcast, you're going to want to visit the site, thehiddenorchard.com, or click in the show notes and look for this article. Often in the articles, I have a lot of sources and links for someone to dig in and do more research. As is the case here, there's a two-part article where we discuss the first century sectarianism and the disputes that happened in pre-Mishnah era Judaism. All right, back to this point. I've also come to view these encounters, these discussions and disputes, as somewhat midrashic, that's homiletic in style. What begins as a dispute about a particular physical practice provides an excellent opportunity for Jesus to teach a spiritual lesson, often for the benefit of the reader. This is a common rabbinic tool to strengthen the physical practice, and you could say give it a soul. It's also a common thread through many familiar gospel accounts, such as grazing of the fields and certain types of healing on Shabbat, proper tithing, and the various purification rituals that would have been incumbent upon the Jewish people, both then and now. But this only works when the audience is aware of the practical basics of Jewish law. That allows for the revelation of a deeper moral principle. Without that understanding, something is lost in translation. In the Torah, various immersions and purifications are implied, but they lack sufficient detail to be instructive and comprehensive. These practices were critical in preparing the priests and the Levites for their temple duties, so how could these be left undefined? No problem. Realize these are a bug and not a feature, allowing the practical details to be developed within the framework of the Jewish oral Torah. One such practice, the practice of hand-washing, also known as netilat yadaim, was a preparatory step before the handling of consecrated food in the temple. By the early first century, though, it seems this practice had been extended to the broader Jewish community as a part of daily purity practices to cultivate holiness, kedusha. In the Midrash, we learn that Rabban Gamliel, a descendant of Rabbi Hillel and Paul's teacher, had implemented this practice to some extent. Though the specific steps and the order of hand-washing may not have been agreed upon fully, the general practice was. To perform this, water is poured over a hand one at a time as it's held in a light fist. And this is done with a particular type of cup that has two handles. On a recent trip to Israel, I took a photo of an ancient artifact with the same design, from somewhere between the 300 BC and the 68 BC era. We also see mention of the practice of washing utensils and washing with a fist in the Greek 
of Mark 7, verses 3 and 4. By the mid-first century, the Pharisaic schools of Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel would be debating the specifics and technicalities a little bit further, a little bit more deeply. In their discussion, they explored whether or not one should wash the outside of the cups and vessels handled in the process of purification. Various complex discussions to this nature are scattered throughout the Mishnah, the Tosefta, and both Talmuds to address this matter. And of course, those are later compilations of Jewish um, law, codification of law, you could say. For example, the question was about the cup. Is the cup ritually impure from constant contact with impure hands? Should we first wash the cup before washing the hands? According to the school of Shammai, yes. And similar questions are raised about washing and immersing vessels you buy. And in modern practice, in Jewish practice, we wash and immerse cups and vessels before we use them. In the time of this debate, though, the school of Hillel held a slightly different view. They presumed the cup to be impure. Therefore, their solution was to handle the cup, purify the hands, the very last step before reciting the blessing and then eating. In the Tosefta we read, the school of Hillel says, the outside of the cup is always impure and hands should be washed as close to the meal as possible. Notice a few things. Number one, the different schools of Pharisees, nor Jesus really for that matter, argue against the practice of washing hands. Their only dispute is really about the order and the various means of spreading impurity and ways to remediate that. Two, Jesus didn't need to explain the basic technical components of this to his Jewish audience. Therefore, he was granted license to expound on the higher dimension of this practice and the other forms of impurity that we may forget. In these accounts, we see Jesus actually builds on the shared foundation to deliver the spiritual lesson. In Luke 11, we read, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine at his house. So he went with him and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the master said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And this brings us to point number three. With this background, we can determine, with more nuance, that there might be a specific school of Pharisee Jesus is engaged with in this encounter. He's, of course, not talking to all Pharisees, and he's, of course, not talking to all Jewish people or religious Jews in general. He seems to be making a homiletic statement based on a shared physical practice. And we can see this in other parts of the Gospels as well, typically the passage with traditions and commandments. And of course, we've written about this on the Hidden Orchard as well. And lastly, the fourth principle, this lesson is not intended to dismantle the practices and rituals of holiness, but continue them and strengthen them with the awareness of the unseen aspect of our service of the Creator. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information like this, again, visit our website, thehiddenorchard.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and look out for other articles posted there throughout the weeks. Reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show. Until next time, have a great week.